Okay, so this is the first, can you hear me over there? Yeah. This is the first of uh, hopefully three, maybe more, uh, sessions of uh, going over the Genjo Koan together. But I, I want to uh, note, to make a note that, uh, you know, we take, off, we take up this venue of exploring books, uh, not so much for the purpose of concluding anything or um, putting it behind. It's more for the purpose of igniting or initiating exploration that the idea is that will last a lifetime. A lifetime of practice, a lifetime of study, which is the same in, in everything we do, uh, whether it's uh, having sale, right, tea, or uh, sitting or uh, going through liturgy, uh, jihatsu style eating, or everything else in life. Not just practice, obviously, not just traditional practice, but everything else. We, we want to take it on as a, a way to initiate endless deepening. Okay, so we're not going to conclude, but we're going to dive into it and then see where it goes and, and get back to it. Okay, some of it we have already talked about at different times. Some of it was quoted at different teshos. So some of it is familiar. So the text of the Genjo Koan begins with the Mahayana teachings of the two truths. right? The aspect of absolute reality, absolute truth, and the aspect of the relative or the conventional truth. So when we view reality from the aspect of the absolute, all things are experienced as one. All things are one and are experienced as one. When we view it from the aspect of the conventional, all things appear as different. And what's important to, to note is that both aspects are absolutely true. It's not that one is more true than the other. Both aspects are two aspects of one reality. Right? And depending on how we interact with it, or, or how we look at it. That's how, what changes. But in essence, what we are looking at does not vary. Although, for our perspective, or in our perspective, it does vary. Okay? But the two truths are absolutely um, a part of, essential part of teachings. Right? And that's what it begins with. So, and the aim of, of Buddhist practice is, is to view reality as a whole and integrated rather than segmented. It doesn't mean seeing it as one, nor does it mean seeing it as different. Right? The absolute and the relative must be seen as and experienced as interpenetrating. Interpenetrate. Very important word, actually. That uh, The word is pointing at something very important. The, Everything permeates, right? So those two truths actually also permeate. So what we see as one permeates what we see as many. And what we see as many permeates what we see as one. And essentially, it's beyond the way we see it. And, and as Seng San, you probably remember, Seng San expressed it beautifully in Trust in Mind, the poem, when he says, one has many kinds, two have no duality. And then he added that, do not even keep the one. Do not even keep the one. 
right? Because if we keep the one, then there is an opposition. If we keep the many, then there is an opposition. So, Okumura, I'm going to quote from Okumura. I don't know what page, so you're going to have to figure that out. Obviously, there's going to be there's some discrepancy because uh, the actual hard copy is not the same as the digital copies, right? The pages are not the same. So he writes, when we study and practice according to Dogen's teachings, it is important that we have more than just, uh, so we, it's important that we have a complete responsibility for the work. Since, well, sorry, I'm actually skipping ahead. Hang on one second. No, this is not, this is from Dogen's uh, instructions to the cook. He says, we have complete responsibility for the way we work since our cooking is our own personal practice. Yet this personal practice is more than just a personal activity since it also is a function within the community. We cannot say this is my practice so I can just do whatever I want to do because there is a certain way the food should be prepared and a certain time it should be ready. The cook prepares food that nurtures the entire community, and so entire community's practice. So cooking is a practice for both the whole community and for the cook, right? So in that we can see that the one and the many interpenetrate. So the practice of the one is about the many, and the many are dependent on the one. Obviously, if it wasn't for the many, there would be no one. If it wasn't for the one, there would be no many. Right? So just as the cook must actualize both individual practice and community practice, all of us must aim to manifest with our own bodies and minds a personal practice that is at the same time a practice for the community and a personal practice. We must say to ourselves, this is my own practice. No one can perform my practice for me. But we must also say this practice is actually not just for me, but for the entire community. We have to find how we can best serve the whole community. Yet, we must do that through our own personal actions and responsibility. We are completely independent, while at the same time we are fully a part of the community. Interdependent. So how can we actualize both sides of our lives within one action, right? So how do we actualize the one and the many with each action, each movement? That's, that's the task of practice. Also, it's what we are working on with this angle, right? And it says, it is true for all beings, but especially important for us to recognize since personal independence is emphasized so much in today's society, right? So how do we understand independence while understanding interconnectivity? Everything is one while I am expressing what I'm expressing in a very individualized way, in a very unique way, right? So it's not a um, process of homogenizing, as, uh, as my teacher used to say, it's a practice of realizing both at the same time. Because they are the same. 
Now, you remember probably from a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about Dogen and his uh, meeting with the old uh, cook, right? The Tenzo, the monastery cook, when he was perplexed about the fact that the cook still is engaging in manual labor at that age instead of sitting and uh, contemplating or, or studying the Dharma, right? And, uh, and the cook looked at him and said, my, my young friend from foreign country, you have no idea what this practice is about. You have an intellectual understanding of it, but you don't understand how to actualize it. Right? And then you can see with instructions to the cook how Dogen actually, how deeply he was touched by that experience and how later on it became the main focus of his teachings. To actualize the fundamental point, to live it not to philosophize it. So the text of the Genjo Koan is divided to sections. And actually, the number of sections vary based on the translator. Okmula has it divided to, I think, uh, 13 sections. But then uh, Flowers Fall, which is Yasutani's uh, words on, or commentaries on, on this work, is divided to uh, more than that. So smaller sections. So... It begins by when all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma, there is delusion and realization, practice, life and death, Buddhas and living beings. Right? So it begins with four. Right? It begins with looking at the many, what we call the many, or the multiplicity, or the fingers of a hand, if you will. And the first part illustrates the relative truth of differentiation seen through the eyes of a practitioner. And that's important to note. This is not just anybody walking around. This is actually seen through somebody who is engaged in practice. Through somebody's eyes who's already doing some practice. So it's not a common way people see reality. Right? And it is a view that results from doing some contemplative work and some practice of the Buddha Dharma. And this view of the relative has the absolute at its base. Right? So there is some understanding of the absolute while looking at the relative. So the relative is in the midst of the absolute. Or in other words, seeing that each part of the tree is utterly unique in the way it manifests, and at the same time, it is totally the tree, right? Each pot, the, tree, the leaves, the roots, the branches. So realizing that, yes, there is the uniqueness, but yet understanding or having some form of, some level of understanding that each of the parts are utterly and totally one and interconnected and affecting one another. And a tree is a good way to it's a good analogy to that. So Kumula writes, the common understanding of Buddha's teaching is that since ignorance turns our life, turns the life of deluded beings into suffering, we should eliminate our ignorance so we can reach nirvana. If we simply accept that, teach, that teaching and devote our lives to the practice of eliminating our ignorance and egocentric desires, we will find that it's impossible to do that. 
Not only it is impossible, but actually creates another cycle of samsara, creates more suffering. This happens because the desire to become free from delusion is one of the causes of our delusion. And the idea that, that there is nirvana or samsara existing separately from one another is a basic dualistic illusion. The desire to escape from this side of existence and enter to another side of ex existence is expression of our desire. Right? It's expressing already separation, which is the reason why we suffer. When we are truly in nirvana, we awaken to the fact that nirvana and samsara are not two separate things. When he says, if we understand Buddha's teaching with our common sense, calculating way of thinking, we create another type of samsara. Eventually, we feel more pain as our desire to reach nirvana creates more difficulties in our lives. This desire to end our suffering is another cause of suffering. Right? So, this is actually a very good point to begin from because we enter the practice hoping that this will eliminate the problems we experience or the suffering we experience. Right? So, how much of it remains? And how much of it the practice actually, or how much of it we are able to let go of through the practice, or are we still holding on to that? Are we still waiting for it to happen? So let's open it up for, for a short while, and uh, I'd like to invite you to participate, say something, ask a question, make a comment. So go ahead. appreciate uh, now, or not now, but in recent years, the, the welcoming of everything, you know? Um, when I first started, I was like, you know, I'll go on three or four long retreats, and then I'll have this experience uh, that will get rid of everything <laughs> that I don't like, and I'll just, you know, live from this place of oneness all the time, and you know, so I was always disappointed at retreats and always striving and always trying all these, you know, different things and just there was never any peace. And I remember on one longer retreat I was on, it kind of just clicked like, I don't have to do anything. I don't need to get anything. I have everything right here, you know. And so it, it's such a relief to finally just, all right, this is, you know everything's workable, uh, you know, I don't need to fight myself or fight these things, it's just, um, it's all part of it, and I mean, everything that arises ceases has really helped me, just kind of holding on to that and reminding myself that, you know what, this state of mind, this anger, this desire, this whatever, it's going to pass, so why be upset about it, you know, why, why fight with it, so... Um, I don't know, I just, I like that, that whole idea that we're not getting rid of something, we're not getting something. It's very hard for, I feel like, as a Westerner, too, to, to get that concept, because we're fed it all the time, like, 
right. know, success and failure but against against mm -hmm. the current against what we against what we know right because it's not what we are taught absolutely mm -hmm. not what we are taught right so to go against the current to realize that there is no graduation day and it's fine and this is it what one Japanese teacher said that when he first started to uh, practice, he thought that he had found the best vacuum cleaner <laughs> that, that would vacuum everything completely clean and nothing will remain. And he said every time I vacuumed, I stopped vacuuming and I realized dust accumulates again. As soon as I'm done vacuuming. Mm. Yes. But he thought he found the best vacuum cleaner in the world as Zen practice. <laughs> right? That is just a funny way of saying that. So... Yeah, there's no graduation, but okay, you said it's, a, it's an idea. I like that idea, but how does this idea, and this is what we're working with, how does this idea of, yes, this is it, and everything is included, nothing is excluded, including what I really despise, including what I want, that I don't want, I don't want, what I want to reject, what I would rather live without. All that is included. How do we live it? Uh, well, uh, could you turn that so yeah, yeah. I can see it myself? That's a little close. <laughs> um, I mean, by ter I feel like the practice gives you the space to hold it, you know, uh, and to turn towards it, and to ex just the curiosity, like saying, like, you know, I'm working with um, the vow of not creating harm. Mm -hmm. So anytime I'm triggered, I remind myself, I don't want to add suffering to this experience. And that kind of really opens things up and it makes me really examine what's going on. And it makes me feel the rage or the whatever, um, the, the impulse to speak in a, a, you know, a harmful way or whatever it is. Um, and then see what do I really want to say. And, you know, it, it, it's, from my experience, we've only been working on it a few days, uh, it, but it's very helpful. And it really makes you think, what do I like? What do I want to say, and what's the issue, and how can I say it just directly and and compassionately, and not just lose it? I mean, it's hard. <laughs> it's very hard, but it gives you that it, the little space. And I think we may have talked that it's very subtle too. It's not like this big magical mystical like I'm a Zen practitioner and now I have this magic key but mm -hmm. it's just a very subtle yeah. shift I guess in attention Good. yeah I think I agree yeah, I think what really helped me um, understand this is what Dogen had said about um, no fixed Dharma position mm -hmm. so what he said was um, and I don't have I can't well, we'll get we'll get to but, that um, we'll get to that later. No, but, 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 but yeah. really, yeah, not fixing something as this will become this, or this will this will change, and mm -hmm. I'll become something different. So we'll be coming, yeah. and the firewood doesn't become ash. The firewood is its own dharma position, and the ash is just it's not left over from firewood. It's ash yeah. in its proper place. So thinking of that in terms of nirvana and um, samsara, um, those two things are included and, not, and are not opposites of each other. I thought that was really helpful. So, so what does it mean? What does it mean by when all dharmas are the Buddha dharma? What does it mean? I didn't hear. 
when all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma. Because he begins by saying, when all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma, there is delusion and realization. So there is delusion and there is realization, right? There is practice, life and death, Buddhas and living beings. Right. He's pointing at something, right? In that, what, what is he saying? No negation. No negation? Mm -hmm. Okay, of what? No negation of anything. Um, everything is enlightenment and everything is samsara. Is he creating, is he creating gaps? No gaps. So we create gaps. We create right. gaps. It's, it's important to see the statement for what it is. Mm -hmm. Because the interpretation can actually augment. It can make it something else. Exactly. Right, so how do we see that state when all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma? Well, what is a dharma? It could be anybody, if you want to say something or anybody else. Actual, actualization of everything. Okay. What is the dharma is not actualization. The, the dharma is teaching. It's phenomenal. Okay, let me let me ask this. What are the ten thousand dharmas? The myriad things, things that exist. What is not? Right? Everything is the Dharma because everything appears on the same ground, on the same level, out of the same nothingness. There's nothing that is not the Dharma. And in that, there's nothing that is not teaching. Which is true. Everything is teaching, constantly. Right? So what he's saying is when, when all dharmas are the Buddha dharmas, well, when are they not the Buddha dharma? <laughs> when you're in realization? <coughs> when are they not? When you make them not. When all dharmas are the Buddha dharma. Uh, when you're not practicing. So, it, so the, dharma, the dharma depends on us practicing or not? No. Okay. The dharma, it still exists. So the when is constant. It's just it, how do we, whether or not we see it, right? But what we see does not become or, or becomes unbecoming or whatever, right? It's not being produced or put together. So when all dharmas are the Buddha dharma, so he's pointing at something. Now, in that, there is delusion and realization. There are many, or many appearances. There are five fingers. Right? But whether or not you see, there are five fingers. Whether or not we understand it, all things are the Buddha Dharma. The myriad things are the myriad things. The Dharma is an inviolable law. Nobody owns it. Buddhism doesn't own it. It's just the way things are. You know, when they say the Dharma, like, are they referring to like the four seals that they talk about? Yeah, he got into it. I, I, you know, if you want to say something, it's fine. You know, I mean, that's we can do that. Um, no, but is that what when you say everything's teaching the Dharma? Is it teaching those? Well, it's teaching everything. It's not. not you see, everything is teaching. What is he looking? What is a tree teaching you? Forget the leaves and the, you know, forget the separation and the one and the many. I mean, what is it teaching you right now? You are facing the window. You're looking outside. 
and you see a tree, right? We call it a tree. What, what are you learning from this? That it moves in the wind. So it is in alignment, right? It is living as one with. Exactly. Oneness. It is living with, not against, right? And it is not trying to not be a tree, right? And it doesn't know it's a tree. <laughs> Right? And it doesn't care. It doesn't so if you don't know, know it's the tree, so where is the alignment? Realization. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anybody want yeah. to say something? Yeah, go ahead. You start with a cook. Yes. Right? And cook actually telling, I mean, it's specifically cook, but it's not specifically, it's everything else. If somebody, I don't know, electrician, yeah. it's not mean that he's doing this electrician and there is no Zen, there is no realization, there is no enlightenment. He's doing this for community. He's doing this with a specifically law he's operating, right? And any other occupation of what we're doing, and it's bringing me to my first, first years mm -hmm. with you, that you generally told me oneness. And then, well, well oneness, yes, we are connected to everybody, everybody connected to us, we are, the, okay, that's nice, but then you show me the five <laughs> fingers and tell me, ask me, what, 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 you, what you see, it's a hand, it's, it's a fingers, it's what? And then you explained it slowly, but, <laughs> Very interesting. To connect the cups. <laughs> and it became, you know, and that's generally what we're supposed to do. This is a, that's my realization, that's my thinking. We're supposed to connect everything. It's really one. And personally, I have this dilemma, fight between my previous understanding in spirituality and practicing in spirituality and all the kinds of schools and what I'm doing right now and this somehow really connecting to everything that I know and realize that really really there is not such a big differences from one school to another from one practicing of spirituality to another everything connected the problem is, it's to realize, and how you say, connect the gaps, eliminate the gaps, connect to everything. And you're talking about trees? He's one, really. I mean, that's what we, that's what we heard right now. I mean, the roots, the leaves, the, the, the tree, the, the, the soil, everything connected. It's became one, 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 one. And all our feelings, it's separating like, from one person to another, but if we connect to everything together, to all of us, it's really the same problems, the same fighting, the same lifestyle. We, we don't have big differences between us. Yeah, but the problem and is this that is realization. the problem is that we, we understand, for example, ecosystem in relation to the environment, but what we, what we don't understand is that we are ecosystem. We operate as an ecosystem inside and out. But we, we, we hold on to 
I am looking at an ecosystem, right? But when, what happens when we see ourselves as an integrated part of the ecosystem? When we actually realize that we're not a separate entity, right? And then whatever we see is affecting us, whatever this is, is affecting what we see. And, and then, yes, we understand it here, right? Maybe in the head. We can read about it. We can read, you know, what science has discovered. Same, yeah. But so we may understand intellectually. But again, and again, the point of the study and the practice is to drop it from this to the center, right? From the head to the gut. That's where it matters. That's where it's alive, right? Anybody else? Go ahead quickly so we can move on to the next panel. Um, touching on a point. Uh, that Jürgen said uh, in the uh, the firewood becomes ash that that passage it it ends with this is like winter and spring yeah can I, I'm gonna Carol, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there okay. you're skipping ahead we're oh, going okay. to go, we're not just going to randomly skip around. He told me that too. <laughs> right. And I'll say it again to everybody. We're not going to skip around. We're going to go through this uh, I didn't paragraph after paragraph. And then at the end, we can maybe spend some time on seeing it as a whole. Okay. In its entirety. And I, then I haven't understood do that. that. Yes. So that's why we want. Any, any other comments on this? Are we on, where, where are we? We are at the beginning. Chapter one, beginning. chapter two, First. chapter three. Yeah, chapter one. one. No, chapter three. Chapter one is about. No, chapter one, but the text. If you yeah, look at the text, three. we are exploring the text from the beginning. Right? Just look at the text. The way the, way the book is, is uh, structured at the beginning is just the background, right? And then he writes about it, and then he goes into the text. I don't remember which chapter the text begins. Chapter three. No, they give it a chapter one, but it, it's it's after they quote the text itself. Yeah, it doesn't matter as long as we understand that we are uh, the first part of, of the actual text. Yes. Yes. Good. I'm not sure if this is relevant. It's not. Just Okay. Um, so you said, "What is the tree teaching us?" Yes. So um, I had this association. Um, about the relationship between the tree and my consciousness and how at different, the tree is the tree and it's just a tree with its myriad components and aspects but the way I am relating to the tree uh, at every given moment um, can be completely different. I'm talking about experience yeah. So, like, um, one day, maybe I see the tree and the bark really stands out to me. And I feel um, maybe intimate with the bark because mm -hmm. I've never seen it before. Like walking down the street on the street that you walk down all the time mm -hmm. and you see a house you never saw before. How is that possible? Mm -hmm. um, right. uh, so, um, something about the relationship. Yeah, he actually talks about that relationship between things, but then there is the subjectivity of it, right? Yes. And, and the, so the question is, does the subjectivity paint it in a different color, right? And then do I believe that that is what I am seeing? 
right? But you say the tree with its many components. You are one of the many components of the tree, and the tree is one of the components of you. That's very hard to get. <laughs> but, but no, but I, I, I mean to get in the felt way. Of course, right. But then on top of that, there is the subjectivity of how I, because you're bringing your own karma. Yes. It's unavoidable, right? Yes. Your own karma, your own perceptions, yes. right? Your own senses, right? And then through that, you are seeing what you see. So this is why the practice is asking you to not go to your perception of the tree, but to go directly to the tree, which is the second paragraph, right? You go directly and then you find yourself there, not what there is here. So you find yourself at that level, rather than the interpretation of. Because often the interpretation keeps a gap, a lie. But, right? okay, if suddenly the tree one day presents the bark to me mm -hmm. and stands out, I mean, that's, that's perception. That's not, that's not going out and grabbing the tree and bringing it in and saying, today I'm going to study the bark. That's mm -hmm. the tree presenting itself, and that's just how I'm picking up tree today. Yes, um, yet uh, the tree... It can be intimate. Yet the tree is, is uh, independent of that. You see, it doesn't change in relation to right. how you experience it, but your experience, change, your experience changes yes. based on what you bring in at that time, at that moment. Right. So your experience varies. Right. Right, which is in a way, yes, it's related to that because there, there, are, there is the variety. Right. But the variety is not making the one chopped up. Right. So your so are we perceptions... No, we're good. <laughs> no, no, I mean, uh, are we... Uh, I think so. Okay. Let's see. Okay. Let's see if it... Uh, maybe you want to bring it back. We're going to talk a little bit about okay. it. Okay. So we'll bring it back. Anything else? Yeah. Okay, well, can I... Yeah. Let me just try and yeah. summarize a little bit of what I said. Um, I, mean, I think it's important the way that it starts. The way that the way that it starts, he he's saying something about the way that it starts. So he's making a statement mm -hmm. in opening in this way, mm -hmm. right? And I think there is some elucidation that um, Okamura draws out to help um, start start us off, right? Mm -hmm. So I go back to what you said, right? When all dharmas are the Buddha dharma, just take that. Just take that mm -hmm. part, right? So it's a conditional statement, right? It says, because they're not always, right? Saying when they are, right? Then something else happens, right? So when all dharmas, now all dharmas, little d, means everything, right? All the little things out there, right? The floor, the, the tree, the sky, the, right? When all those little things are the Buddha dharma, right? The big thing, right? Now, what is the Buddha dharma? Right? Well, he does, I think, a, an interesting job of articulating this, and you don't have to go into all of it, but it's on page 25, um, where he talks about the Buddha Dharma being effectively the Four Noble Truths. Right? All life is suffering, blah, blah, blah. Right? So there's suffering, and there's nirvana. Right? And I think what he's trying to do in this first paragraph is to draw this distinction to say, there is samsara, the world of many things, there is nirvana, the world of one, and the two things are the same. When those two things, when, right, when the world of the many are the world of one, there is delusion and realization, practice, life and death, 
Buddhas and living beings. So, so the first paragraph there, he's, he's making the statement that nirvana and samsara, right, the many and the one, are ultimately the same. The rest of it then, as we'll get into, I'm sure, talk about how that is and how we realize that. Right? What is it that we have to think about? Yeah, but what he's doing is the first one, the first one he's talking about seeing, in the way, seeing the many from the one, and then the second one, which we're going to go into now, is seeing the one from the many. Right? But the word when, it's really important we right. understand the word when. The word when is not conditional. It's the condition, it's not, it's not up to us. It's when it is, and that's a very important word to look at. What does it mean? Do I switch it, do I switch it on and off? Is it up to my perception? Is it up to how I experience this moment? What if I don't want it? Right. I want something else. I want to go somewhere else. Right. I, I think that's a, that's a really interesting point. I, I still, I think, my feeling at this point is that it's still when is still in some ways um, subjective to us. Like, we, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that it changes, but, it, but when, when we choose. When, when we experience. When we experience. When we see it. See it. Yeah. So right. It's conditional. It, I think it is conditional. It's a condition. <laughs> Not that the dharma is let me, let, me let me ask. Let me ask you how. Like, you know, so do you remember that Daisumi's Kalpa fire, right? When the world is utterly and completely destroyed by the Kalpa fire, it is not destroyed, was one of the answers. It is not destroyed because it is not dependent on circumstances and conditions. Now, circumstances and conditions do appear and experiences do vary. And this is where, and then we got, you know, yeah. it becomes actually clearer and clearer in terms of practice. But then, you see, but, but then both are always present. Right. So, so on that level, now, yes, that, there is variety right. of experience. That's right. And that, that's the when that I'm talking about. Yeah. The when that depends on us realizing or not realizing. It doesn't mean that it changes the fundamental nature. But realizing or not realizing is always the same. Meaning, it, right. whether we see it or not, it we can destroy, right. Right? right? We can destroy what we see, we can care for what we see. Essentially, it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. right. It doesn't care. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very important point, mm -hmm. so we don't stress over Serving, the, you know, serving others. Right. Because sometimes this becomes the new drug. Right. Right. So actually, I talked to somebody who is very, very engaged in that. Yeah. yeah. But he went from being engaged in some other recreational smoking or whatever, right? And he's not doing it anymore. But now he's completely engaged in being a soldier of the dog. Right. Right. And this is another form of addiction. Absolutely. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, but you just saying uh, my interpretation when I read the when it was like for me it was it, you know the words were there but for me it was when do you understand the fact that mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. the immediate things are the one thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and to me it was very clear that, that was immediate. It's like when do you understand the fact that this is going on. So the fact is always solid and, and I think you already know, said. Yeah. The fact is solid, the understanding may not be there, and the weight has to do with that. Well, you also, you may want to go back to what Bodhidharma said, right? When you understand that reality depends on you, when you don't understand, you depend on reality. Do you remember that? Right, exactly. 
he actually is what he's talking about. Right. right. So that's something good to go back to and yeah. read again, maybe after that. Yeah. Right. Well, good. So the second one, the second part, you say when the 10,000 dollars are without a fixed self, there is no delusion, no realization, no Buddhas, no living beings, no birth, and no death. And we chant that too, right? Mm -hmm. We chant. There is no, there is no beginning and end. Yet there is birth and death and human beings and suffering. Right? Now this is picking up, if you will, emptiness, right? So he's looking at that. The second line illustrates the absolute truth, right? So if we look at the first line, as, the first part as illustrating the, the relative truth, this is illustrating the absolute truth, right? And again, both are as true. So whatever we go through in our lives is very true because we do experience that. We cannot deny the difficulties, right? The, the lament, the, the sadness, the frustration, the anger, right? despair. We cannot ignore that. But yet, it is all a part of or included in the same one. It's not, it never is not true and it never is not separate. So, this is the absolute in the midst of the relative, though. It's not just. So, again, there is, this is looking at it with some understanding, right? So, it's the great awakening experience that, in a way, sheds light on this fundamental truth by thrusting us into complete darkness. Right? So, we are, in a way, the practice pushes us into complete darkness where all differentiations are gone. We're unable to see them with our eyes, right? So in a way, it turns the, the, the it's like what the, the corn working on, right? It turns everything from bright light to complete darkness. So, and it takes away what we are relying on, right? And this is why it's so difficult and so scary, because we don't want to. Of course, we rely on seeing differences. We rely on seeing ourselves here and then everything else there. And this is what the eyes are telling us, that yesterday, today, tomorrow, you, us, them, and everything else, right? So then we work based on that. So from that, it moves into, there is no, there are no life and death, there are no separations, right? So is, is not, as he points out, right? In the so every chant in the house, no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, right? Total negation of all things. But total negation is complete affirmation of all things. Because what we negate is the separate existence. Or as he says here, the fixed self, the fixed position of each thing is being negated. Not the thing, not rejection of you and what you feel. But what, what, is, what is negated is the separate fixedness in a way, or, or separate existence of a feeling, or a person, or a situation. Is that, does that fit the first one? Does it work with the first one, with the first position? In a way? So a position of seeing the many from the one, and then a position of seeing the one from the many, or going into the one from the many. Right, going for, to the many from the one or going to the one from the many. Each thing is 
it has its own intrinsic value expressed according to functional place, yet it is absolutely one. Not a part of. I think sometimes that could be deceiving. A part of holds on to some separation. Right? Right, there's, there's many parts, right? And this is, no. Everything is already one. Rather than a part of one. And is that because there's no solid, unchanging because thing to anything? Well, how do you... Okay, let, let's make it simple. Which part of your body is not you? Can you point at the part of your body that you say, well, I am, this is a part of me, this is a part, right? You're going to get lost in that, right? Wherever you look, whatever you point at in your body is in the same way totally your body, what you call your body, right? Uh, how can we say, no, this is a part of my body? <laughs> it doesn't make sense, right? It's all you, it's all one at the same time. I wanted to uh, see if Encho uh, has anything to say. We're good? Okay. <laughs> We're going to have to find a signal. Because <laughs> you, you're muted, right? So we cannot hear you. So, okay, if you have anything to say, then unmute yourself and say. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else to add to that? To that part of the paragraph? I just think it's interesting to point out that this is the point at which he introduces this idea of emptiness, right? Yeah. It's the first time, so right. I think that becomes right. this idea of without fixed self, yep. to me, is the, the key. Right. It's a right. new idea that, right? Yeah, so without fixed self. Now, here's the question. Is, he, is the first line holding on to fixed positions? No. No, but, but the second line, because of the way that it's structured, right. has to. Exactly. Right. Right. But it's not, we, we have to see, we have to be careful, right? Because our minds are right. very tricky. Right. Right Right away, you know, we categorize. Okay, well, if this means this, then that means the opposite. Right. Right. And it's not what he's doing. Right. Right? I mean, we, do, we need to look at it so we can transcend the, the, the tendency of the mind to create those divisions. Right. It's difficult to understand the emptiness because that's why he's explaining. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but still, it's not. I cannot. No, that, that everything is interdependent, right? Empty, emptiness doesn't mean void. It just means that's exactly. In my emptiness, for me, it's like a vacuum, no, like nothing out. there. Yeah, but there is nothing. But that's why. That's why. He's, that's why he's, <laughs> you know, pointing at no, no fix. That's why. No fix, right? It means nothing is. Fixed, nothing exists onto itself. It is empty of separate existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is one way to yeah, just, clarify yeah, that. Yeah. It's not empty of content. It's not empty of feelings. It's not empty of life. Yeah. It's full of right? Always. It's actually a linguistic translational problem. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it, we just interpret it the wrong way in the US. Yeah. Isn't there a con sure. about grabbing emptiness? Yeah. Well, there is that, yeah, there is that, that uh, you know, the guy twisted his nose, do you remember? He said, "Why don't you show me? I grab emptiness, and he grabbed air, and then, and then the teacher said, okay, now I'll show you.' And he grabbed his nose and he yanked it. <laughs> and so here it is. You want me to grab emptiness? I'll grab emptiness. Yeah. Yeah. 
because form and formless are non-dual, nothing is dual. So where else are you going to look? The question is what changes in our lives when we realize that we are not fixed. Because every, all the suffering comes out of holding on to a fixed position. The world is doing it to me. I am the one who is, yeah. right? When you transcend that, well, how can that be if nothing is fixed? What I call this one here is constantly changing. Well, then if it's not done to me, that takes care of something huge, right? Not to avoid, I don't defend it. Now I can work with it. In fact, it frees you to work with it rather than be reactive to what's happening. Okay, we'll, we'll, just hold on, hold on to that. We'll, we'll get there. Anything else on that so we can not merge them? <laughs> weren't you just saying that experiencing um, oneness is experiencing nothingness, void, isn't it? Didn't you say that? No, I did not use the word void. I think Katie was saying uh, no, no void. You said nothing. No thing. Nothing is not... Okay. The no thingness, right? No I, you, no stone, body, mind. Means what? Means that the I is not a thing. The ear is not a thing separated from. And again, you know, you point at your nose. Is that less you than the ear? There is no nose without the ear. Because it's not a nose. There is no heart without the lungs. There is no, well, you know that, right? You understand that. You know where this is going, right? So nothing exists onto itself. What we call you is not you unless Kechi is over there. That's what that means. So if you're not here, I'm not here. Right? Do I get it? No. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's nothing I can do. No, no, about I'm it. smiling. It's good. No, but <laughs> that's better. Okay, now let's go to. Uh, anyway, I, I think I think empty of separate existence is is, is a better way. Unless you guys have a better way to, to uh, describe it. No, empty of separate existence, not empty as what we see as empty. It's not that we have to take things out in order to empty it out. <clears throat> There's nothing there to begin with. So what are we letting go of? What are we taking out? Where are we going? What are we, willing, what are we uh, hoping to become? Right? Which goes back to where we started, right? So let's look at the, the next one. Since the Buddha way by nature goes beyond the dichotomy of abundance and deficiency, there is a rising and perishing, delusion, realization, living beings, and Buddhas. Now, since the Buddha way go naturally, by nature, goes beyond the dichotomy of abundance and deficiency, right? So when the Buddha, I'm going back to the beginning, when all the almost all the Buddha Dhamma, right? And then he says, since the Buddha, Buddha way goes beyond the dichotomy of abundance and deficiency. Abundance is, of course, you know, many, and deficiency is 
nothingness. It goes beyond what we perceive as one. It goes beyond what we perceive as many. Now, is, this is a statement. He's not saying when the Buddha way, go, Buddha way goes beyond dichotomy. It goes beyond dichotomy. That's what he teaches. Right? So what do we do with that? We're back to ease, right? Ease is not ease, right? And, and uh, you know the, uh, the, the analogy of ascending the mountain and descending the mountain, right? The analogy of ascending the mountain as practice and the peak, the top, could be uh, seen as the realization, right? Because there's nobody else there. You're completely alone, right? And then you descend the mountain and then you merge with the crowd. You go to where everybody else is because... Yeah, that reminds me of the... Uh, yeah. The ten, the which is kind of going in the same nature. The beginning, you know, all the immediate things, and then going into the absolute, and yeah. then saying again, well, at the end of the day, the absolute is also nothing like that. Do you remember the picture of the last one? He's riding the ox in reverse, playing the flute, right? He's riding the ox, but he's facing backwards. That's not the one I remember. Though. Yeah. <laughs> what I remember is the one that he's coming into the he's coming into the village and mingling with people. He's mingling, absolutely, but he's riding the ox. That's the difference between the, what he's talking about the first and the and the third, if you will. That's you can see that there is the seeing the many, seeing the one, and then mingling, right, and then merging, and then forgetting. In fact, forgetting about the one, forgetting about the many. That's where training was not even temporarily necessary. Remember that con? Of the testing cons, or miscellaneous cons? Mm -hmm. training, training was not even temporarily necessary. Somebody was talking about it. it. was one of the four lines. And it's asking which line is most important, right? Anyway, so yeah. There is ascending the mountain, there is descending the mountain, and then it's forgetting altogether about the mountain. Right? Anybody else? I think it said something in this, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but about how he says Buddha way for this one, meaning practice. And, uh, you know, from the very little I know of, of Dogen, uh, I feel like it's merging, like you said, the relative and the absolute into a, 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 pra a practice, like a practical, because like all this stuff can get so heady and uh, what does it have to do with my life on Tuesday afternoon, you know, and that, I think that third line is maybe him trying to explain it in his, his way. Right, but do, do, how do we understand it? Um, maybe somebody who hasn't said anything yet? Anyone else? So we don't uh, keep going back to the same people. <laughs> this side is a little quiet. Maybe they need some cookies. Yes, I think you should give them tea. Next time, coffee. Okay, next time, coffee. We got it. So let me, let me read a little bit from Okamura and then maybe we can open that up. He says, 
if we don't find nirvana within samsara. And this is where it relates to Tuesday afternoon, right? And whatever you do in your life, right? If we don't find nirvana within samsara, if we don't find it within suffering, there is no place we can find it. There is no other place, right? Which is not what we want to hear. <laughs> there is no one here, right? I think this is not why we maybe began to practice. But he said, where else can we find it, right? If we don't find peacefulness within our busy daily lives, there is no place we can find peacefulness. We do have to be free from this desire for the nirvana, but if we use our egocentric calculating mind to deal with this Mahayana teaching, we may come to the conclusion that there is simply no need to practice. Very dangerous, right? We may say to ourselves, if samsara and nirvana are really one thing, why do I have to practice? It's kind of like a Dogen question, right? Why do I have to bother if I'm already that? It. Right? So it's another, and he says it's another misguided idea derived from a misunderstanding of Mahayana teaching. Because reality includes all things, and because everything is, everything in the world has a kind of practice. It is a kind of practice. Nirvana is already here. Of course, when we practice in this way, samsara is also here. So within this practice, at this moment, both nirvana and samsara are present. Now, this is very important because this is where the rubber hits the road. Right? This is where it matters. Everything I'm feeling, everything I, I, I really dislike in my life is nirvana. How, how is this possible? That's the big question. How is this possible? Everything I'm complaining about to myself and to others is my is where I need to find peace. Or is the only way, only place to find peace. So so this is like the thing, you know, I, I like flowers, I hate weeds. We get there. Okay. Yes, jump around. <laughs> <laughs> Let's follow Dogen. You know, I think he knew what he was doing. Let's follow <laughs> paragraph by paragraph. So he's saying wanting nirvana causes suffering. Right. Wanting to eliminate samsara. Right. You remember that, you know, as a, I think it was quoted somewhere, what the Buddha said, you know, somebody came to Buddha and said, you know, I want to be happy, can you help me? He said, of course. Let go of I, let go of wanting, and what's left is happiness. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So, let go of wanting. Because wanting, what does wanting do? It, it creates a gap. It rejects. Right? It creates now and later. And it creates two different, two different versions of you. The one who is unhappy and the one who is happy, which will come later on. A practice, a, a teaching that, that teaches us to not create duality, a teaching of non-duality, teaches non-duality. Yeah. You're not going to tell you, yeah, everything is not dual except for you wanting something. And that's, that's another thing, uh, eliminating self-centeredness creates... Right. Because wanting, actually wanting at its core is, is designed to keep the self alive. Wanting is not to, is to get what we want. But getting what we want is, is uh, in a way, uh, disappointing. Yeah. Because then now what? Now... 
I still feel like crap. So, <laughs> now what do I do, right? It's like, a, it's like a tumbling down the hill. Right, because you know, when we think, well, maybe there's something wrong with the item. Maybe I need a, yeah. a, a newer version, right? Oscar Wilde said the only thing worse than not getting what you want is getting what you want. Right. Mm -hmm. Very true. Yeah. Right. Because then you feel like, well, because we put so much, so many expectations, so much stock in a few, an idea of a future me. Right? I think when I get that, I will feel much better. I will be much better. See, the, the, right? the game concept is, is what it's But that's what keeps the economy alive. <laughs> think about it, yeah. right? How could how could I you be a target? I don't think it's a, I mean I don't think the game has a problem with doing something that has an economic behavior. I don't think it, it starts that way. You know, like uh, you can do yeah. you can do something that it has economic value without necessarily um, you know thinking about gaining all the time that you're doing it. And there is examples of that in Islam that doesn't exist. I mean, of course. The main problem with gaining is that once your mindset is into gaining, mm -hmm. there's never ended for it. And then, and, then, uh, and then you feel like, okay, so I have this, now I want more. And, and you never aim that. And I experienced that a little bit myself recently. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's, it's really kind of very interesting to me. It was like all the sensation of, okay, so I have all these new things and then I want more. And I, I don't know where it's coming from, but I want more. I really want more. You know, and, and I have a lot of convincing of why I need more. You know, it's not only I want it, but I need it. <laughs> super cool to have more. And, and all that is, is kind of what starts this feeling that is uh, um, that you need to get. Because, like, because that is, I don't know, I mean, this is a, you know, probably bullshit saying it this way, but, you know, that is kind of the wrong portion of some side. You know, it's like the one that you feed. Then there's the samsara that we're talking about here, the samsara that's in Iran at the same time, is the one that just happens. You know, it just comes. And then you can feed it and create it even bigger. And, and the feeling of it is what we're trying to cap. That's what I Well, because we want to want more than to have, right? You know, the wanting keeps it going. The wanting keeps the juices flowing, right? And it keeps the gap alive. That's right. Right? But then, you know, the statement that this show is the other show is not what we want to hear. It's not what we want to hear. How could that be? But it's very refreshing. Yeah. Right. Yes. It is very refreshing. Every now and then you get a glimpse of that, and it's like, oh, nice, this is fantastic. Well, because you know what? You can settle down. You can actually settle down, and you can actually, you know what it does? It actually gives you an opportunity to stick around and appreciate. Mm -hmm. And look, it's like, wow, I'm missing all this because I am so occupied sorry. with an idea of this. And I'm missing this. I'm rejecting this for an idea of this. Right? Uh, I think I want to say something. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was saying, where do you draw the line when, with, with the wanting? You know, I can say, you know, there's some things that you need. I mean, you know, you go to work for, for payment, you know, for you to be able to live your life to be able to pay your bills and be able to provide education for you, whatever it is that you're going to use the tool, money, you know, for you're doing it. So where do you draw the line where enough is enough? You well, know? you asked the question, is, is, am I, is anything missing right now? 
that's exactly what you want. But life can be mysterious. What do you want to drop? What do you want to drop? The definition of nirvana or reality? I want to be okay. So we have to definite of what means nirvana and and samsara. So samsara for me, it's a chaos. It's a problem itself. Some conditional that not comfortable for you. Yeah. Problems, whatever. Okay. Nirvana. No problems. You are very, very one. There is, you know, prosperity, whatever. You are feeling amazing. Listen. There is no possible. Listen. Listen. What you, what you define, the problem is in the definition. The problem is in your idea of what we call samsara, what we call nirvana. Yeah. This is that and that is this. As long as you don't hold on to your definition. Because when you hold on to a definition, you hold on to a gap. And then two different realities that exist only in your mind. Those two realities are one, is what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying, or read what he's saying, right? He's saying that those are one. The teachings are saying those are one. But you, what you don't want to let go of is your, the, the, the line and the definition, right? The definition of this and that. Well, that's your work. That's your work. That's the practice. Rather than try to... Uh, delete what you don't want. Well, let's actually let's move on to the. Yeah, I, don't know if this, I don't know if this is right. Maybe yes. jumping the gun. But there's something I, I think I was reading further on in here about samsara. Um, samsara is created by our karma, right? And it perpetuates itself in that way. Okay. So it's our attitude toward reality that keeps us there. So maybe in this, what we're talking about, like how this right here is nirvana, it's nirvana if I don't resist it, if I don't create karma. Anymore, I take this moment right here and say, "Okay, here's where it stops. I'm not creating karma anymore, and that's where samsara can become nirvana, right? Or, or I mean, the, where I don't create more samsara, and well, I begin to see samsara as nirvana." Do you remember Bodhidharma saying, you know, that 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 uh, person creates uh, creates karma, but karma does not create a person, <laughs> right? So, so yes, we are creating karma, and we are dealing with consequences of karma, but the karma does not create a person. The person is the problem. Because the person takes the karma personally, right? And then creates a storyline out of it. Mm -hmm. And creates a gap, fixed sense of self. Right? People do create karma. Karma does not create people. Cool. And I, I just I think this is a very clear statement. Right? And it takes care of it because, well, yes, you're going through that and it may feel like crap, but it doesn't make you anything. That's the beauty. It doesn't make you. It's kind of like when people, when it's like when someone says something to you, like, "Oh, you're such an idiot because you couldn't, right. you know, you couldn't understand something." It's like you're, you aren't the idiot. Like you're not that, you know. Right. Because you're you can't that. do something. Right. Know? And 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 exactly. Or whatever you are. How can you, In at that moment, feel it so you don't react to right. that statement? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because the natural tendency is, of course, to retaliate. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, no, no. Right. <laughs> exactly. What, what if you say, okay, I'm an idiot? Maybe I am. Then, you, then, then what? Nothing. Maybe you are. Then the ammunition doesn't work. Right? <laughs> you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is why he's saying in the next paragraph, saying, therefore, therefore, and this is an important word, right? Therefore, because of what he said before, because he explained it, like he's outlining it, therefore, flowers fall even though we love them. That's a very famous statement of Dogen. Yeah. Flowers fall although 
We love them and we grow even though we dislike them. Right? This is why this title, Flowers Fall. And so flowers fall, right? Conveying oneself toward all things to carry out practice enlightenment is delusion. All things coming and carrying out practice enlightenment through the self is realization. So what does it mean conveying oneself towards all things? Toward all things to carry out practice enlightenment is delusion. Let's just let's just stay with that for a few minutes. I think that when we when we're self-centered and we're trying to um, put ourselves out there and make things happen a certain way, um, that's when it becomes, you know, and then when we when we let everything come through us, the universe comes through well, us. Let's stay with are, the first one. Okay. With, with, with delusion, right? So he's, he's saying this is delusion. You put it, yeah, you're placing a self on top of everything else. When I present myself to the world and I force the world to deal with myself, you know. Yeah. I can make that confrontation. Yes, and what is that operating from? Yeah. Going back to the previous, <coughs> the fixed self. sense of self, right? Conveying oneself, right? So you move, as you say, towards all things. You meet things from a fixed idea of a self, right? And then you are trying to merge with all things, maybe, but still hold on to a fixed sense of self. So you're trying to project yourself on. So yeah, go ahead. yeah, now that we're talking about flowers and weeds, isn't the flower and the weeds our ups and downs of delusions and realizations? Both flowers and weeds. And we always try to clean up the weeds and we only pick up the flower and they die on us. This is the our life. Uh, when a flower when a flower grows, right? When the flower appears. But the the concept of a flower it's in our mind because the wheat can be flowers too. Are. Well, but he's not talking right. He's not talking about how we. It's true, but he's not talking about flowers and weed in terms of our own. Yes, in terms of our own perspective, that's how we see it. But a flower is not a flower, and a weed is not a weed, in the way we see it. That is. It's not. Right, because it's not. The flower does not feel better than the weed. Right, no, we the make flower. It. What we make it. We define this is. Beautiful, this is a flower, right? And then we find weeds we want to. Yeah, but what happens when we, you know, this, this, But this the reality is back. that if I pick up a weed, it will die. If I pick up a flower, it will eventually die the same way. Yeah, but we gotta go beyond that. I know what you're saying, but we gotta go beyond that. It's just, just, just this is a statement, right? Flower, we love them or we hate them, that's what we add to or, the fact that there is that thing we call a flower and it's emerging. And there is that thing we call a weed, it's also emerging. Right. I like this, I don't like that. Right. So 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 what else? How else can we interact with that? I thought I thought it was interesting when he said when Okumura said, um, yeah, when we have to do the work of weeding, it's difficult to say that weeds are just weeds. It's really hard. You know? We can just sit here saying conceptually a weed is a weed. Right. You know? Right. A flower is a flower, aren't they beautiful? But when we're actually doing the gardening, that's when it becomes difficult. Like, oh, this thing's just here, you know? Let me, uh, let's, let's look at what he's saying, and this is actually important. Go ahead. No, it's basically neither flower nor weeds are inherently good or bad, so that's when you right. raise up above all 
I think, didn't Shakespeare said that, that nothing is either good or bad, just the mind makes it so? Mm -hmm. They were thinking makes it so. Yeah. Thinking makes it so, right? So we just simply deal with them. Neither good nor bad. That's a, that, that could be a very dangerous realm. What does it mean, neither good nor bad? It, does it mean I can do anything I want? No, that, that no. means that I have to deal with the good and the bad. That's my life. It means it's unavoidable to experience interpretation. Let's uh, go ahead. There is a saying. Yeah. Oh, samsara and nirvana are the same. The only difference, the, the, the difference is a matter of one's perspective. Yeah. 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 So, according to, I'm reading from Okamura, according to Dogen, delusion and enlightenment lie only within the relationship between self and other. Right? So, yeah, so, and, and that's very important because it has to do with how we meet reality, right? It has to do with the gap that we hold on to at the moment of meeting reality, right? Meeting what we like or what we don't like, right? The moment we meet that interaction, right? So, he's saying delusion is not some fixed thing within our minds that, if eliminated, will be replaced by enlightenment. It's simple, but it's very true because this is... I think we're honest, you know, we can see that there is some of that in us. We may not admit it right away, but there is some of that. We hope that something will replace what we feel, right? Or the state of life, state of things, or the state of our lives. Could you check the uh, connection? I think there's that connection. Oh, yeah, she's back, okay. Um, in the statement, flowers fall even though we love them, and weeds grow even though we dislike them, we, quote-unquote, refers to self, Jiko, and flowers and, we, and flowers and weeds are examples of Bantu and the myriad things, right? So now he's going back to where he started, right, with that, with the explanation. So there is the self and there are the myriad things. Neither flowers nor weeds are inherently good or bad. They simply grow and live. And yet we human beings are usually not neutral in our relationship to things. Since we enjoy flowers, we love them as they bloom. And since we don't like weeds, we are unhappy when they appear. And though we love flowers, they still fall. And we feel sad and disappointed. As for weeds, they grow quickly and spread, and we become angry. This evaluation occurs within the relationship between self and the myriad dharmas. But there's no such thing, as, there's no such dichotomy within the reality of the myriad dharmas. So the dichotomy and this is the beginning of this uh, uh, paragraph, right? The dichotomy exists in the way we are meeting reality, but not in reality itself. So the dichotomy is made up. Right? The division between flowers and weeds, the division between what we like and what we dislike, all that is made up. I mean, it's, it's, it's not simple because it's kind of shaking up everything we, we are relying on. Yes. Actually, what sounds interesting about that is that when it's, I don't think it, what we like and dislike is made up. But the amount of energy we put in not liking or liking is what's made up. I mean, like, you can still be, choose what you like and what you don't like. And I do think that that's part of our expression in the world. I mean, we prefer to do this than that. Um, 
but that doesn't need to have any other secondary okay. additional yeah. complications of, okay, we don't like some hate, uh, or, you know, we like this much and then we want it, and then we get into this wanting situation, you know, like, and so, so that's interesting because, I mean, it's, uh, in the reality of things is that, yes, we prefer things, I mean, I would prefer a cookie or not, you know, and that doesn't mean anything if I don't create the problem with, with um, what the meaning of the cookie is for me. So Let, let's take yes, and so we go with this. But let's go to a more fundamental level of that. So, for example, if it's raining outside, right, and and and, and we all go outside and experience the rain, right? So you're gonna get if we have ten people, for example, going outside, you're gonna get ten different uh, different experiences, right, or different sets of experiences of rain, what we call rain. Meanwhile, rain does not come with any of those experiences. Rain is neutral. We're not. The question is, can you merge with the rain? Can you go directly to the rain rather than to, to what you feel in relation to meeting the rain? Mm -hmm. That's the question. And that's where the practice is at, right? So when you experience, well, there are no 10 different kinds of rain. Right? There's one rain. Yet, it doesn't feel the same way. Right? And if you take different people, right? You know, you go to the farmer, they love the rain. Right? They want a lot of rain because it saves a lot of money. Right? Without rain, you have drought, you have issues. Yeah, but if you go somewhere else, you know, too much rain, no good. Rain does not come with any of that. Yet, we are affected in different ways by that. Right? So can we see both? And both are true. Right? Because we are affected differently. That's why, yes. I mean, that's the issue. The issue is that both are true. And so, it's still that... I mean, like I, I'm, if I'm a farmer and I have no rain, that's a problem for me. Right. But that doesn't mean no rain is something that the world is doing to me. Or the, the frustration, it's adding, it's adding um, things that I don't need. Can you see the neutrality? Can you see that water is essentially water, although you add color and flavor to it, and then see the taste of water... See, water is neutral. Water is flavorless, colorless. You are flavorless and colorless. Because you are the rain. It sounds uh, weird, but it's true. You see, that's also true. And that's the truth that is missing in our lives. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's that gives you the perspective of, you know, uh, you still have the problem of not having rain if you're a farmer, but you know, you don't create additional things out of that. You just deal with that as it is. Right. Great. Oh. Okay. I was just want to ask, like, so you can have a garden. Let's say you want to make a garden of flowers, right? Okay. You can. You're still gonna get weeds, and you're gonna accept that. But you can still take them out without having like a like an anger to them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was the Suzuki said. Uh, I think it was Suzuki who said that you know the width, the width of the mind. He said, you know, don't, don't worry about them. Just you can pull them out and bury them next to the plant, so they nurture the plant. So it can become compost, right? I mean, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, it's not making lemonade from lemons, but you know, it's seeing reality as a whole. You gotta get them for the you know, pop those seeds out, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to <laughs> another time. <laughs>
But but the question is, can we sure. can we see reality not as as an observer or as observers, but as participants? Can we participate rather than observe? And what does it mean to participate? To partake, to take part, to be one with. Right? And that changes everything. But because uh, it's not personal anymore. But there is some. Uh, the hero in one people's eyes, he's the hero, he's magnificent, he's the amazing. In other yes. people, he's a destroyer. Yes. So how can you see balance in that? I mean, if he's hero in one uh, part of the people and he's destroying the other part, how it's balanced. There is samsara and there is, uh, there is no uh, nirvana. I mean, it's, how can you comprehend? To see him as an individual, no hero, no destroyer, no, how? I'm going to ask you to look at what happened, what does, uh, what arises in you when you experience that? Because this is where you can Confuse see. Me. Okay, so this is your work. Your work is to take responsibility for what is what kind of energies arise in you that that maybe do not arise in another, right? You experience that and you work with that. So if you feel anger, for example, then what do you do with the anger? It comes down to that. It comes down to working from seeing reality as it is when most may not. When most may not, which means that they may destroy and it doesn't matter. No, it's matter. If it destroy, doesn't matter. Destruction, it's a matter. It's it doesn't any matter. way that you look in it, it's matter because it's bringing so many. You're taking it personally, that's why it matters. Yeah. Well, there is not other ways to take that. Sure. <laughs> There's no other ways. Should I give a very, very strong example? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, because that's not the point. The, the point is, you're seeing, you're seeing half of reality. And, and that's, this is where, what he's talking about, right? You're seeing half of reality and you're reacting to half of reality. Go ahead. There's a kid in my school. Yeah. Um, he's in my class. And um, the previous teacher, his previous teacher, saw him as a troublemaker, nasty, disrespectful, he's this, he's that, and he was all the while um, just, he, that made him feel um, like he was the bad kid, and so he wouldn't stop acting like the bad kid, and that's the way people perceived him. He comes to my classroom, and I, you know, he changed it around, I didn't change it around, I just offered him some opportunities to show me something different, and then um, I saw this other side of him that was just really kind. And, and presented, you know, so I saw, I saw, but I saw both sides. You know, I saw how he was before. When people perceive something a certain way, it starts behaving in that way. When people perceive something um, as bad, it's going to be, you know, that, that's your perception of it, right? But, but when, when you see the whole person, in this example, I don't know if this is a good example or if I'm being eloquent or anything, but, you know, I, probably not, but, um, just 
when, when you're able to see him as a whole person, not just like bad or good, then then you have you have him there and you can feel you can feel connection to him. Connection connection to him as a person, whether or not he's behaving in a bad way or a good way. You know, it's it's like seeing the whole the whole picture. And then he can see the whole picture. And then he can behave the way yeah, he behaves more naturally. Well, seeing reality without separating us from reality. He's bad. He's good. He's not bad or good. He's he's. There is the truth of good and bad, right? There is the relative. There is the relative truth. There is. Right, but there is the absolute truth that nothing matters. Yeah. The absolute truth, what arises and vanishes, happens all the time, and it happens, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. When you perceive the previous teacher perceived him as like this this bad kid, right? He's he's a bad kid, and and then, but then when you are able to take a different like it doesn't matter what he does. He's this this is what the situation is. Then then he doesn't feel like he needs to keep repeating. Sorry, I'm talking about behavior now. I don't want to get into all kinds of things. I'm just saying. It's the way you perceive things. I think, yeah. this that, I think this distinction that you make between observing and participating mm -hmm. is really important, right? Because it, it sets up two different ways of actually being in the world, mm -hmm. right? And interacting with the world, right? So as an observer, if you just think about being an observer, you've set up already this split, right? Between you, the observer, and the thing that you are observing. And it leads to a particular way of thinking, one that's rational, logical, mm -hmm. separating, where A cannot equal not A, right? That, that's the way, and, and it's great for scientific thinking and building things and doing things, but it's not great for actually experience reality as it may actually be. Mm -hmm. and so when you think about what it is to participate in the world as opposed to observing the world, that gap is eliminated, right? And so now you, the, the person acting and the one who is acting with, are the same. And in that world, A and not A can exist together. They can actually exist together. And I think that's the shift of thinking. We are so used to looking at the world as this observer, um, and not so used to looking at it in this other in this other way. Yeah, right. Exactly. So then, how do I? Can I find myself? Right. So to lose yourself, right? To lose yourself. And this is where he's going. You know. So he's he's going from the other direction, right? He's saying that if you convey more oneself towards all things to carry out the facts, enlightenment is delusion, right? Because you hold on to that, right? Because you are an observer. So, all things coming and carrying out practice alignment through this cell is realization, right? So, I'm not the one doing it. This is being done in a way, right? So, the do I am the doing mm -hmm. and the deed mm -hmm. and the consequences, right? You will, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody around. Mm -hmm. And it changes everything because. Yep. And I think it takes, it takes the pressure off as well, right? Because, well, it's not about. Arriving anywhere else is not about creating anything else or protecting anything. Right. Right. 
And it does, it does actually change everything. Mm -hmm. You were going to say something? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like you were going to say something. Okay, we're going to we're gonna have to wrap it up. Uh, obviously, it's uh, tricky, but because uh, of time. But uh, I want to just finish with this. Uh, what he says, Okamoto says, delusion is probably not a good <coughs> translation for the for the Japanese or Chinese character for Mayui. Am I, am I pronouncing it correctly? Mayui, okay. Mayui? Yeah, which is also pronounced as Mei. Mei is a psychological condition caused by the delusion that is a product of consciousness. Within consciousness, reality is distorted. We don't see things as they are, and that is delusion. Now, he said Mayu is not this delusion, but the psychological condition caused by delusion. Right? And it's a type of confusion caused by the inability to see things as they are. So, and I like that word confusion, right? So it's not good or bad, it's just confusion. It's just being confused. Right? Which is really important because it's not when we are bad, when we are deluded, and we are good when we are realized. Right? So we have to step away from that too. When we don't see things clearly, we cannot make good judgments, right? And we're unsure which way to go. Now, he's, he's uh, drawing here the, the character for, for Mayui, right? And it's actually uh, two lines, right? Like a cross with different lines coming out of them. And he's saying it's like standing uh, on, on a junction, not knowing which way to go. Basically, it's a pictogram, but it's being confused. Which is a very nice way to, to look at it, right? So, not knowing which direction to go. And he said it looks like an intersection, perhaps one in which we don't know which way to go. The lower part of the kanji means walking. It's like the door in Aikido. When we walk, our destination should be clear. If our destination is not clear, we will become lost in confusion and anxiety, make bad decisions, and have many other problems. This is the condition of suffering in samsara. Very well put, right? Especially when you look at an example of the character of being lost. I don't see how that goes with the whole emphasis on not knowing, though. You know, the saying, if you see the path, it's not yours. You know, why should we know where we're coming? There's also that perspective, too, that when we don't know where we're going, like somehow we can find our way. So. Well, when we don't know, not knowing actually is to let go of wanting to. When you don't want to know, you want what you do, what you let go of is the wanting, and all that's left is knowing. But it's not the knowing that we perceive in cognition. It's not the it's not the intellectual knowing. It's not the logical knowing. It's the same knowing that a tree possesses or expresses. I should say right. It's that kind of knowing. It's the knowing that does not know itself. So it is knowing but it's not the conventional knowing. And it's not lost. Right? There is the, remember the example of somebody walking in the woods? If that person has a destination and they cannot find the way, they're lost. But if they walk around without a destination, are they lost? Is that person lost without having a destination in mind? No. Okay, so if we accept samsara as nirvana, well, where are we going? We're not lost in samsara. We are awakened in samsara, which is what he's talking about. 
the only place to awaken is within samsara, but not wanting to get out of it or to free ourselves from it. Why? Because we realize that there's nobody that has to be freed. Right? Because this is how life shows up. Well, who am I to judge it? Right? Who am I to judge it? Who am I to say that doesn't work? Right, it's our reaction to something. Right. Who am I? Well, I'll tell you who I am. <laughs> right? That's what we think. Of course. I'll tell you who that is. And that creates delusion. That creates separation. And the feeling of being lost in the world. Having an idea of destination. Having definitions of samsara and nirvana. So I think with that we'll go back to samsara. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to wrap up? Are we good? I think, well, when you say samsara and nirvana, I think another way to think about samsara is just, you know, the conflict of my life, the things I don't like, the pain, the suffering, the, chaos. the, the weeds. Yeah, the weeds. Right. Well, the chaos. Right. But the chaos is it. Again, it's not what we want to hear. No, but it's not right. good. It's not what we want to hear because we come in with an expectation or expectations, right? That we will find solace. And we do, but not what the way we think. There is solace. Right? There is that, but not based on the definition of it. So, good? All right, thank you. To be continued.